Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Yeah. The best of the podcast year. ever. Hey! hey! We're, we're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Each of us has his own way of emerging from the underworld. Welcome to Storytelling Underworlds, the 103rd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 20th century novelist Franz Kafka. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meat, my name is Gwyn Ode's mother. And ah, Kafka. <laughs> Gotta love Kafka. <laughs> we were just talking about coffee. Coffee. And now we have Kafka. Yeah, so it makes perfect sense. So kind of, sort of. Perfect segue. So we haven't done a storytelling episode in a while. Not so. since Ellen. Yeah. So before we do all of that, we're going to do housekeeping. Uh, we don't have any new patrons to report, so we are good Perfect. there. Except Thank we you to our existing patrons. That's yes. right. We love our patrons. Yes. One and all. On Monday mornings mm-hmm. at 8 a.m., mm-hmm. Gwen does a meditation mm-hmm. on Facebook Live, and then it is also posted to other places afterwards, including Gwen's YouTube channel, which you should check out because there's all kinds of cool stuff going up on Gwen of Three Pagans and a Cat on YouTube. Gwen does a book club. On Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And Eastern the book, Standard Time. Yes, and the book you're studying is? How to Be an Anti-Racist by Hi. Ibram X. Kendi. There you go, that's that. And then on Sundays at 2 p.m., I am on Zoom, and you can find the link to that on the Discord, on the Facebook page, and Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And it is no holds barred, chit-chat. free-for-all chit-chat. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. right. Just a hangout. It's just a hangout. It's because I can't get close to anybody, and this allows me to at least see people. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's it's Carr practicing his extroversion in this time of social distancing. Exactly. <laughs> and I believe that's all our housekeeping. I that is. We are now house-kept house and house-swept. House <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gwyn, I think you have the most, like, classical version of this tale, so you go ahead and, and start us off. All right. I am going to start by recounting the classic tale of love, Orpheus and Eurydice. Standard Greek tragedy <laughs> with, all the, with all the trappings. <laughs> tragedy, which has been my favorite of the Greek myths since elementary school when I first heard this story. A teacher read it to our class. So... Orpheus was known to be the most talented music player of his day. It is said that Apollo was his father, from whom he obtained his extreme talent in music. And Calliope is his mother. He was living in Thrace, northeastern part of Greece. And he had a divinely gifted voice that could charm anyone who heard it. One day, he saw a young woman whose name was Eurydice. She was beautiful. He fell in love with her almost at first sight. He would sing for her and woo woo her, and they got married. Actually, it was the day of their marriage. It was even blessed by the god of marriage, this union. And everyone was filled with joy and happiness, and the day was just Perfect. Beautiful, beautiful day. But as the day started to draw to a close and the wedding guests were beginning to leave and the newlyweds were enjoying their time together, a snake came along and bit the beautiful Eurydice and she died. After the death of his beautiful wife of less than a day, Orpheus... She was this close to just being his beautiful fiance. <laughs> yes. Orpheus was no longer the same person he used to be. His life without Eurydice just seemed hopeless. He could do nothing but grieve for her. And that's when he got an idea. He decided that he was going to go to the underworld and try to get his wife back. And it is said that 
he thought his father, Apollo, would talk to Hades, who was the god of the underworld, who would allow him to enter and to hear his plea. So, armed with his weapons and his lyre, which was his instrument instrument of choice, and, of course, his beautiful singing voice, Orpheus made his way into the underworld. He approached Hades, demanded entry into the underworld, and standing before the rulers of the dead, Hades and Persephone, Orpheus said why he was there in a voice that was so beautiful and disquieting. It it really moved them. And then he began to play and to sing to to Hades and Persephone of his love for Eurydice and how how he longed for her and how their lives together were cut short by the bite of this viper. And Hades was so moved. And Persephone's heart was opened to the plight of this young couple. And it is said that even Cerberus, the gigantic three-headed dog that guards the underworld, covered his ears with his paws and howled in despair because the voice of Orpheus was so moving and so beautiful and so desperate. Because they were moved, Orpheus was allowed to go into the underworld, deeper into the underworld, and find Eurydice. But there was a catch. Once he found her and was leading her out of Hades, you know, out of the underworld and back to the world of the living, he could not turn back to look at her. No matter what he heard, no matter what he saw, he had to stay his focus on the path ahead and not look back. He managed to find her in the darkness of the underworld and she agreed to come back with him. And so they were walking all the way through the underworld and getting very near to the entryway. And for one very short moment, he glimpsed back at her and she was drawn back immediately into the underworld and was never allowed to to come back to him while he lived. And from then on, he was heartbroken and wandered day after day and night after night in despair with no consolation. His misfortune tormented him. He found no joy with any other woman, and so his songs were no longer joyful but extremely, extremely sad. There was a group of irate women who were furious Because they tried to gain his attention. They tried to turn his mind away from Eurydice to accept one of them. And they would make advances toward him and he would say no because of his great love and longing and loss of Eurydice. And so in her jealousy, one woman killed him, cut his body into pieces, and threw them and his lyre into a river. And it said that his head and the lyre floated downriver to Lesbos, the island. And there the muses found him and gave Orpheus a proper burial. And people believed that his grave emanated a beautiful plaintive music because he's, his soul descended down into the underworld where he was finally united with his beloved Eurydice. But my takeaway from this has always been that Orpheus is a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's like, it's so, so sad. Like, there's not even a, that nobody tricks him into looking back. He just does. He just, like, gets almost to the threshold and, like, can't not look for three more seconds. An amazing musician. And real dumb. And real dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Because he had the love of this beautiful, The original himbo. I have just always thought that that was... And yeah, Rowan says every hero has a fatal flaw, and his was his insecurity. In Greek mythology, that is absolutely the Yeah, and basically what it is, is he he couldn't hear her. He wasn't allowed to, to look at her. He couldn't tell, you know, he's walking from the underworld back to the land of the living, and he didn't have faith that she was there. He didn't trust that she was still there behind him, and so he snuck a peek. Like an idiot. Like an idiot. And she was taken away. She was taken back to, to the underworld. Yep. So, Couldn't you have just, like, sung the Beatles and said, I want to hold your hand? <laughs> 
as they walked down the path, yeah. that would have been easier. Well, and there's, you know, like... Yes, Silky, there is a very similar story with uh, Japanese deities with Izanagi and Izanami. And there's also a similar story in, uh, honestly, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. I was just thinking, it's Lot's actually... wife Lot's wife, back. yeah. It's actually two stories. Mm-hmm. It's the creation story. Yeah. You know, with the snake and all that oh, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the and Lot and the pillar of salt. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that is my story. Yes, the and you're classic. to it? Orpheus and Eurydice. The classic Orpheus and Eurydice. The tragic tale of love. So our tiger Jim Two Snakes has spent much of the past three decades providing spiritual and emotional support for individuals that are looking for accountability, wisdom, and safe supporting space while they discover how to walk their own path. Jim is now offering his spiritual dad service in a Patreon structure. This informal program includes regular contact with Jim and specific guidance for what's going on in your life right now along with a talking stick monthly meeting for some levels and regular phone calls ranging from one to four times a month at other levels. Jim will help you with goal setting, ritual and energetic practice ideas, teaching, suggestions, support, and accountability in whatever you want to accomplish. And because it is your path, he will adapt his suggestions to suit what works best for you. It's called Spiritual Dad, but there's no age limit. We all need spiritual and emotional support. To find out more, visit jimtwosnakes.net or patreon.com spiritual dad very nice and he is a wonderful person mm-hmm. to to seek out so definitely do that yes we know we know jim personally it's time for odds stone corner that was kind of sedate yeah you, you kept kind that of, one contained well i'm trying you know yeah. like i'm you know trying not to destroy people who wear headphones up we, that, them, right exactly i've had it. a couple of complaints so hey, joe, did, joe frost said it didn't cut out didn't cut it out did. It so didn't. you found the perfect way. So do it again <laughs> that way. Sure. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about basalt, Ooh. which is, it is not a gemstone. It is a <laughs> mafic extrusive igneous rock. It is. God bless you. <laughs> so mafic means that it is magnesium rich and iron rich. Extrusive means that it's magma that's been forced up through the crust mm-hmm. of the earth and has solidified on the surface. Mm -hmm. In a range from gray to black, it's usually described as a dark stone, but it can actually be a very light gray. And it oxidizes, so because it has high iron content, so it can oxidize to uh, sort of a brown or a rusty red. So it has a wide range of available colors. And actually, hematite, uh, so the iron components in it can sometimes form hematite. There are many types of basalts, but the one I'm talking about right now primarily is columnar basalt, which forms small or large, depending on how rapidly the magma cools, a hexagonal or polygonal columns that sort of rise in steps. There's actually a, a location in Northern Ireland called the Giant's Causeway, which is a huge swath of polygonal columnar basalt stands. Gotcha. It looks like cobblestones. Right. Yeah, I've actually seen the Giant's Causeway. Not in person. But... Right, but yeah, photos. Right. Yeah, it's very impressive. Basalt is used in construction. Columnar basalt is sometimes cut to make cobblestones. It's used to make statues, and it can be heated and extruded to create steel wool. Huh. Yes. That's interesting. super interesting. Yeah. yeah. Basically, so you take basalt or some uh, a couple of other minerals, you heat them until they're liquid again, and you spin them and extrude them like candy floss, and that becomes steel wool. Interesting. You do it in a candy floss machine. No. Okay. <laughs> Don't think Just that's checking. okay. Hot or fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I get it hot enough, can I put it in a candy floss machine and spin it? I don't think that would seem- be. I don't think that would be safe. <laughs> that's, that's not correct. <laughs> Recommended. Not recommended. I'm not talking about like the one you can buy at Walmart. <laughs> Still not recommended. All right, cool. Basalt makes up huge amount of our terrestrial stone. It's also found on the moon. It's found on Io, which is one of Jupiter's moons. Mm. It's found on Mars. So it's an extremely common stone, and it's part of the mantle of our planet coming out to the skin of our planet, right? So, like, it's the blood and heart of the planet. Yeah, Dr- Joe Frost in the Discord says, dried blood of the Earth. It's, mm. it's like that. And I like it for underworld connotations because it comes it up. From exactly. It comes right. up from the root of our planet out to the surface where we can access it. And it also has... 
some really interesting, so so steel wool has some interesting properties where it's sound dampening and it's insulating. Mm-hmm. So I like basalt for for like supporting meditation and mm-hmm. supporting focus, like right. when you need to cut down distractions. I like mm-hmm. to use basalt for that, and I like to use it for a connection to the underworld. If you had a big enough piece, could you use it to scream into the void? I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, is, I mean, yeah. is basalt easy to find or? Yeah, well, like I said, it's extremely common. It's like if I went into a rock shop or no, you're not going to find. Well, you might find it at like a like a geoscapes kind of like a place where they gather like just rocks. Right. You're not going to find it in like a crystal store mm-hmm. because it's not considered a crystal, right? It's just mm-hmm. a regular rock. So where would you recommend going? So like World of Rocks? World of Rocks, Caves, Geoscapes, those kind of places you where them online? you can order basalt online. It's used a lot in construction, so you can find basalt that's intent, like basalt blocks and, mm-hmm. and slabs that are intended for construction use and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want a big piece of basalt. Right, to scream into the void with. To scream into the void with. Awesome. <laughs> and sometimes you can find basalt like in the wild. Okay. So that's it for Oats Stone! Corner! So I'm going to be talking about sort of the aftermath of Baldur's death. Ah. So we're not going to talk about the actual death of, death Baldur. of Baldur. Just know that it happened and it was Loki's fault. We've heard that. We've <laughs> yeah. heard the story before. We're familiar with this one. Yes, right. we're so familiar. After Baldur's death, as all the gods are, you know, freaking out about the fact that Baldur's just been killed when they've been recently assured that he's in- unkillable. As they're preparing Baldur's body for burial. Right. It's a ship burial. Right. Frigga asks if anyone will go to hell, the world of the dead, and ask hell, the, the goddess, goddess of the dead, <laughs> if she will give Baldur back. So confusing. I mean, it's like with Hades. Yeah, you know, Hades is Hades as you know, and the place and, and the person. The place yeah. and the person. So confusing. So, so Frigga asks if anyone will go to hell and ask hell if they can have Baldur back. And Hermoth, who is one of uh, an obscure son of Odin, so one of Baldur's brothers, one about whom we know virtually nothing except, except that he this, shows up right. in this. He must be a brother from a tryst. Listen. A brother from another mother? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Many of them are. Yes. Yes. Most, you might say. Yes. Um, so Hermoth uh, agrees that he'll go and try this. So Odin gives him Sleipnir, who is his eight-legged steed, who is one of Loki's children. Also relevant to note that Hel, the person, is one of Loki's children by different dalliances. So Hermoth gets Sleipnir and starts riding to hell, hoping to get there in time to retrieve Baldur before, you know, the whole funeral thing happens. But it takes nine nights to travel from Asgard to hell. And as he goes, he goes through deeper and deeper valleys, progressing further and further into the earth until it's so dark that there's no light. He can't even see where he's going. He's just, you know, trusting that Sleipnir hopefully knows the way because Odin has done this ride before. Right. And Sleipnir is, you know, the child of a god and, you know, intelligent in his own right. So nine nights go by, increasingly dark. Hermoth is just riding and riding and riding and not stopping because his brother's dead and he's trying to fix this situation. Finally, he sees a glint of gold and... That gold is the Hjallar Bridge, which is the bridge that goes over the River Hjall, which is the boundary between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Kind of like sticks in the Greek yeah. world? He starts riding over the Hjallar Bridge, and he's stopped. Into Sleipnir's path steps Mothgar, who is a giantess, and she guards the bridge. And she tells him that just recently, five people, which is Baldur, his wife, and the servants who died with them, have passed over this bridge. And they didn't make half so much noise as Hermoth and Sleipnir. <laughs> and he is suspiciously lively looking. There's a lot of color in that face that isn't normally in the faces of the dead. And who is he and who are his family members and what is he doing here? Yeah. So here, about, what the fuck do you want? Uh-huh. What, why are you here? Why we don't you? let the living into... That's why I'm here is to prevent <laughs> you from getting across this bridge, you dummy. You just, human living... You, right, you thing. You Asa god. Just because you're riding Odin's horse doesn't mean you get to Odin's privileges. So, Mothgav makes Hermoth answer a bunch of questions about who he is and what he's doing there, why he's trying to enter the world of the dead. And he answers these to her satisfaction, and 
he agrees that he will he will go straight to Hell's Hall and he won't bother any of the other dead. He's just here he's here for a mission and he's gonna accomplish that mission and not stray or cause any problems he promises. But there's always a but there. There's always well, a but for, for once the maybe the only time ever in Norse mythology, he actually does what he says he's going wow. to do. Wow! Mothgather takes his oath and, and uh, accepts that, okay, he, he can come in for this one purpose and tells him the way to Hell's Hall. It's north and keep going down. Right. <laughs> he continues faring forth into Hell, into the land of the dead, to reach Hell's Hall, where Baldur is supposed to be. Just chilling. Just chilling. <laughs> so, so he continues riding further and further, deeper and deeper, until he reaches Hell's Gate, which is closed. But he has promised he will go straight to Hell's Hall, so he can't go around or right. try to find another entrance. I'm sensing an uh-oh. <laughs> he can't go around or try to find another entrance, and the gate is closed, and no one's opening the gate for him. So he gets off of sleep now. He tightens the saddle, because he's about to do something very dumb. Oh, boy. <laughs> Challenging. Something that would be a very full thing to do if this was not Sleepnir. So he tightens the saddle, takes a deep breath, gets back on Sleepnir, and jumps the, the gate. gate. <laughs> Which is not a small gate. It's a significant gate. But Sleepnir has but eight Sleepnir legs. But Sleepnir has eight legs <laughs> and is the son of a giant horse and Loki, who is sometimes called Sky Treader. So he just jumps over it, no problem. As if, like, this was not an obstacle at all. Like, it was just like a log on the on the path, and he's just, boop, no problem. And Hermoth is like, thank God I got Odin's horse. <laughs> right. <laughs> or else I would be stuck here and or dead. So he continues into Hell's Hall, and when he gets there, it's night, because he's been riding a long time. Mm-hmm. Hell is seated on the throne of Hell, and as she would be. beside her in the seat of honor is Baldur. Ooh who seems pretty chill, (laughs) does not seem that distressed, has been treated well. So Hermoth says, okay, well, I guess it's not that much of an emergency. I'll spend the night. (laughs) So so he spends the night sleeping in Hell's Hall because it seems like everything's, you know, basically okay. okay. And then in the morning, he petitions Hell, hey, so I know I just slept in your house, but... I am actually here to try to ransom that guy because his mother would really like him returned. And Hell says, okay, I'll make you a deal. Uh (laughs) All the dead belong to me, including your brother. But if everyone and everything in Midgard on Earth weeps for him, I'll give him back. That seems fair, right? (laughs) Because, Because Frigga got everything on Earth except mistletoe, to agree not to hurt him. So, I mean, if they can accomplish that, they should be able to accomplish everything on Earth weeping for Baldur, right? I mean, if they were that dedicated to him not being dead, they should all be that sad about it now. Mm-hmm. So Hermoth says, okay. <laughs> Challenge I, accepted. I can't really argue with that, because I'm not special. <laughs> so I will just take this offer back to Odin and see what they have to say. <laughs> So he gets back on Slipnir. Fortunately, he's had a night to rest, and he rides another nine nights back to Asgard. Does he have to jump the gate again? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> so sure. it's a steeplechase. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so he rides the nine nights back to Asgard and reports to Odin and Frigga what Hel has said. Mm-hmm. And Frigga says, okay, I managed this once. I know everything's address. <laughs> <laughs> I can go and get everyone to cry. So she goes around getting everything to cry, uh, including lots of inanimate objects that I don't know how they managed it, but they expressed their mourning somehow. And then she gets to the one remaining giantess, Thok. Thok's name means thanks. And it is often taken to be sarcastic (laughs) because she refuses to weep saying that Baldur never did anything for her. And so she won't do anything for him and hell can keep him. Oh. <laughs> and Rude. Yes. And Snorri appends to this tale that it is generally understood that Thok is Loki, although there is no evidence that this is the case, <laughs> or it's not clear why he believes this to be true. But that's the generally accepted notion, is that Loki got Baldur killed, and Loki made sure Baldur stayed dead. 
And at that point, there was nothing they could do, because oaths had been given, they'd gotten a fair bargain from hell, about as fair as you're going to get from the goddess of the dead, and they couldn't make it happen. So Baldur has to stay in hell, in, admittedly, you know, pretty comfortable surroundings, apparently. He doesn't seem to... Seat of power, yeah. Seat of honor. Seat Doesn't seem to have been distressed. Yep. He sent gifts back with uh, Hermoth for mm-hmm. his for his parents, and, you know... He seems uh, like he was a pretty chill dude. He, he actually... So, Odin actually put the ring Dropnir, which is one of his artifacts, on Baldur's funeral pile, and Baldur, having received it in the Land of the Dead, sent it back. <laughs> Just so you know, you're like, yeah, I got this, but I don't want it. You can have it. You can have it back. I'm going fine here. I don't need your ring. So, Baldur stays in the Land of the Dead until Ragnarok. Well, both of your stories suck. <laughs> they do have kind of sad endings, in, in at least for the people who want the dead uh, who want the dead to, to return. return. Yeah. Because there's you're no... Right now, it's not clear if Eurydice wanted to leave. Baldur probably would have been fine either way, but doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have been that distressed to stay. Right. It, yeah, one can only assume that she agrees to go back to the land mm-hmm. of the living because it's Orpheus and she had great love for him. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really indicate if she was unhappy right. or anything like that. All right. Thanks to our Tiger Solanox for introducing us to Weavers of the Web, an interfaith pagan ATC, that's Aquarian Tabernacle Church, organization based in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims on being family-friendly, supportive, and informative with the goal of ensuring that no one ever need be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on our property, which would allow them to expand their current network of resources. During social distancing, you can find them online at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com, weaversatc. Weavers is also holding regular Zoom meetings, online rituals, and Discord discussions during this time. And we do recommend you check them out, because yep. Solanox is a wonderful person. Yeah. This is a wonderful organization with a great mission, so check them out. It's time for reviews! And we have a range of things to review. We have two. We have two. 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 So I don't know if that's a range. It's a very small range. It's a very small range. It's a (laughs) range-ish. It's a round (laughs) rangey. Range approximate? Uh, Range adjacent? uh Uh-huh. I think I like range adjacent. Range adjacent. That's what we'll call it. Kitten trails. (laughs) Today, I guess we'll start with the book. Yep. 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 We are reviewing Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule by Jason Menke. Welcome to Yule in July. Yes. Yes. Yule in July. (laughs) We talked to Jason about this book in an interview just a few months ago. Not so long ago. Not so long ago. Gwen was very excited about it. So, Gwen, tell us your thoughts. Well, I have read... The thing from cover to cover, I enjoyed it quite a bit. He goes into the history of... Yeah, there's a lot of history in there's this There's a lot of history that, in there. Because it's a Mankey book. It's a Mankey book, yeah. Right, yeah. He also looks at the various things that are familiar within all of the December holidays. So he not only looks at Yule, but he looks at Christmas and Hanukkah mm-hmm. and Kwanzaa. And all of the various traditions, like Saturnalia, Saturnalia, well, New Year's. The, I guess Saturnalia would be the history yeah. part, you know. Yeah. But the point is, he really looks into the solstice and Saturnalia and how it all came down to becoming Christmas and Yule and yeah. all he these He just looks things. at like all winter holidays. Yes, he he yeah. looks at all the winter holidays that he calls Yule Tide. Mm-hmm. Yep. For him, and I agree with him, the entire from basically from Thanksgiving to. January, like, 12th, <laughs> is Yuletide. Yep. And so he talks about Boxing Day. He talks about Twelfth Night. But he also throws in a few things that I'd never heard of, such as the Catalans. Uh, the, yeah, well, it's the Crapper. Yeah. And the poop log. It, the basically. poop log is Tio de Nadal. <laughs> yeah. And so it's these very strange traditions from Spain, right. or a part yep. of Spain. I, I just don't even know where they came up with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of their year, their version of a Santa Claus kind of figure, but just very odd. <laughs> You'll have to read the book to find out more about it. Yeah. <laughs> you get to hear about a lot of obscure yes. holiday traditions. Holiday, yes. <laughs> like he talks about the Lord of Misrule. He also so Very Saint Days. Yeah. yeah. But he also offers activities, some recipes. Alcohol recipes. Alcohol recipes. Because it's chasing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> de Noel, you know, how to make a, a Yule log cake. Right. Right. One that you can eat. Yep. One that you can eat. 
And uh, so it's just, it's a great book. I enjoyed it immensely. It's pretty extensive. I will say, though, it's not necessarily what someone who is new to witchcraft or Wicca may be looking for as far as celebrating Yule. This is more of a history of... I think it gives lots of options for you things so? you can do. I mean, it doesn't give you, like, a step-by-step guide to, you know, your first Yule. But I know, but I think sometimes that's what people are expecting when they get a Yule book. And this is much broader. This is this is a range of history to activities and a whole, and just encompasses the entire Yuletide season. And so I love it. I do highly recommend it. I think it's a great book. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't, sometimes the... The organization, the way it was structured, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure about because, like, it would seem to sort of jump from topic to topic. There was, and there was a little repetition from here to there. Yeah, overall, I liked it a lot. There was a lot of, like I said, a lot of history, which I enjoy. Yes, absolutely. Um, well sourced, which uh, you also which enjoy. I also enjoy, and I, I was, I was here for the alcohol recipes. Yes. Okay, so per the norm, uh-huh. out of five stars. For me, I would give it four point five. Okay. I give it a a solid four stars, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm at about four stars. Mm -hmm. It's probably not a book I would necessarily have, but but if you're into this, Mm -hmm. it's a book to get. So I'm not into holidays, so it doesn't make a ton of sense for me because I just don't give a fuck about them. Mm -hmm. But if you're into holidays, and particularly those winter holidays, I would suggest getting this book. It's actually entitled Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule. Mm -hmm. You can currently pre-order it on Amazon. It comes out in September, and it's thirteen ninety nine. So there you go. It's just not bad. No, it's really not. It's 240 pages. I mean, it's a... They call it the little book of Yule. It's a a significant... (laughs) Right. It's a little book in that size-wise. Like, it's not a, you know, a bigger sized book. It's a little book. It's just thick. Yeah. 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 There's lots of... Just lots of really good intro. That's what she said. So, I have a review, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. I have somewhat of a personal review, but... This was made and sent to me by one of our patrons, mm-hmm. Dakota Wilkett, who contacted me via email and said, hey, I make wands for people. I really feel called to make you a wand. What kind of wood do you want? I gave him a list of the nine, <laughs> the sacred, nine, sacred, woods. The nine <laughs> sacred woods and said, any of these will do. And I have received the wand, and it is fucking amazing. It is. It is. It's so beautiful. it's... What do you say? Fourteen inches of wand of actual wood. Yeah, twelve to fourteen. Yeah, so like fourteen inches of oak yep. that actually was from a tree that his grandfather planted, and then it is attached to a red deer antler from Ireland. Yep. And then capped with another piece of the oak. Yep. And the piece of oak that is used in the swans was struck from the tree in a storm. Yes. Yep. And so, wow, powerful in feeling. I'm not a big wand user, as everybody who listens to the podcast knows, including Dakota, because he's like, I know you probably (laughs) won't use this, but, but wow, the, the amount of power that you get from just picking it up and holding it. Mm -hmm. It's got a buzz. It's amazing. Yeah. It really does. We all three of us held it. Yeah. And it's so, so strong. Dakota did not ask for this, but I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah, it was a gift. It was a gift, he, yeah. He sent it as a gift. So Dakota does commissions for people, because I asked. He and so if you're interested in getting a wand to match you and your path, you can email wandelemental at yahoo.com. So there you go. That's the deal. We highly recommend. Yeah, I mean, it is. extremely. It's flipping amazing. Car. I absolutely love it. It's It has a place of honor, honor on my altar normally. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to go, oh, go get it just a second ago. Yeah, yep. uh, next to Cronunos. So yep, it's here, next to Cronunos. No, I'd like for it to go next to, back to Cronunos. It was amazing. So, like, seriously, if you all are interested or want a wand, wandelemental at yahoo.com. It's very, very, very cool. It's beautiful. Yeah. It is a, it Absolutely is amazing it. piece yeah. of art. Yeah, so there you go. That's And if I had to give it out five stars, it's a fucking five oh, out of five God. for me. Yeah. He said that when he was crafting it, he was putting intention yes, into yep. it. Yes, yep, put intention into it. Mm-hmm. It's it's know. a magical tool, and you right. can feel the magic in yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, so that's it for reviews. Queen's Garden Gems. Very nice. Very good. Very good. It's been a while since it has. Uh-huh. <laughs> now that we don't do them monthly, I'm like, fuck, what, what tune did I what's write? My, like, what's my jingle? 
All right. So obviously, since today we are talking about the underworld and I shared the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, Mm -hmm. I chose pomegranate (laughs) as the plant Mm -hmm. to to focus on today because it is well known as an underworld plant. It is actually what Persephone eats that essentially makes it impossible for her to return to the earth for, you know, as a... Permanently. Permanently. And is why they had to do this six months... Mm -hmm. In the underworld, six months in the living world. The, she got that timeshare. Yeah, that timeshare <laughs> going on because she she got hungry and she ate some pomegranate. Yep. Six. 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 <laughs> six <seeds>. Yes, <laughs> six pomegranate seeds. So the pomegranate is, uh, its Latin name is Punica granatum. Um, it is also known as Carthage apple, granadier, malacorio, malum punicum, pound garnet, and granatum. Pomegranate is the best name. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the best name. Elements that are associated with it are air and fire. It is also associated with Venus and Pluto as far as planetary bodies. That go. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are into astrology signs, Scorpio is the uh, sign that is associated with pomegranate. And then, of course, Persephone is one of the deities that is associated along with a star shape. Surprise, and surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Hades should be on that list. Yeah, <laughs> Hades should be on there, but Astarte, Persephone, and Sekhmet. You can work with the pomegranate to assist with the witch's eye, that third eye mm. uh, for psychic work. You can also use it, believe it or not, as a foundation, like if you're doing um, foundation meditation, you can use it. People who use centers would say it's that root center, that foundation mm. center. Wait, what do you mean you can use it as, like as a substitute center? No, no, it, it to work with the the assistance. Oh, it's to, just got that vibe. That vibe of, of it's just got that real centered vibe. Centered in the earth. That makes sense. Vibe. Um, it also for magical properties. If you are working a spell, especially an older spell that calls for blood. You can use pomegranate juice as a substitute. Oh. Um, it is also one that is used for fertility divination. You can throw the seeds on the ground, and depending on the number of seeds appear in from the cast. from your casting of the of the seeds, that's how many children you'll have. That could be way too many. Pomegranates yeah, pomegranates have a seeds. lot of seeds. Yeah, I know. So don't do it. Be if real careful. Yeah, be real careful. And again, in associating pomegranate with that third eye, it can be used to help focus your spirit as well and and your body. So that third eye and that foundation, it, it can help with that. Again, my sense is that it is because it is part of the underworld associated with the underworld. Is that rootedness into the earth? Hmm is why you can use it for that. It is also, you can use pomegranate juice as magical ink for spells. You can also apparently dry and grind the skin of the pomegranate and add it to money incense for drawing money. You can hang pomegranate, the, you know, the actual fruit. You can hang the fruit on branches around your door or around your home as protection to ward off evil. So you could, like, dry the, the, the fruit and hang it. Like with our dried citruses. Yes, exactly. Like, that's what we do at, at Yule. Yep. For wisdom, which I, I question this because of Persephone's actions and what happened to her, but apparently if you drink pomegranate juice or eat the seeds while drawing down the moon, if you are drawing upon the energy of the moon, you can ask for guidance, knowledge, and wisdom. It uh, seems like it's going to be real tradition-specific. can eat a pomegranate and make a wish, and it's the seeds are supposed to help your wishes come true. My understanding is that pomegranate is an aphrodisiac. Is it? Like oysters? I, yeah. Because some of the medicinal properties include antioxidants. It's very high in antioxidants, high in vitamin C. It is good to prevent various kinds of cancer. They say it helps, you know, all just improve your digestion, may help improve memory, and especially, and if it uh, is good for the overall circulation, circulatory system, then it wouldn't surprise me it's an aphrodisiac. Apparently, it is an aphrodisiac, and there are some theories that the forbidden fruit of the Bible was not an apple, but a pomegranate pomegranate That makes sense. All right. Now, there are some warnings if you're going to eat pomegranate. Do not consume the root, the stem, or the peel. Those are not what you eat. You only eat the seeds. Yes. And they're real hard to get out. Yes, they're very hard. You have to really want. Yeah. Pomegranate. You do not casually eat a pomegranate. No. Either stick to the juice or just be really dedicated Mm -hmm. to getting those seeds. And prepare to be messy. That's right. 
Do not consume pomegranate if you have low blood pressure mm. because it lower it helps lower bro- oh. blood pressure for people who have, have high blood, blood pressure. High blood pressure. Sure. So and do not have it because it does it is works with the circulatory system. You should not consume pomegranate within two weeks of surgery. This makes a lot more sense for the you can use it to substitute blood. Thing. Yeah, other than just a thread, because it also to apparently the, has circulatory system. Yes, right. exactly. Because and that's according to that would be according to the doctrine of signatures. Mm-hmm. That's why. Now, if you want to grow pomegranate, I mean, it's much easier to just buy the things at the grocery store. But you can actually grow pomegranate. You germinate it in, you know, after you've got successfully got the seeds from the fruit. Right. You would germinate it inside in about midwinter and plant it in the spring. But it is really only uh, for areas seven through growing areas seven through nine places that are temperate or or warm or tropical. Mm-hmm. It not a Michigan plant. not a Michigan plant. <laughs> um, it does require. Sunshine. They say if you if you live in a place that would be conducive to growing pomegranate, it actually grows quite easily. Nice. You can soon probably get a pomegranate tea from Apothecary Teas because Ooh. she is thinking about one right now right. as we speak Yay. in the Discord about and, a Persephone tea blend. And I can Rosemary say right ginger. now for sure because they're both in the works. Mm-hmm. There is a pomegranate mead coming out from Norse Nectar Meadery, and there is a pomegranate chocolate stout coming out from City Union Brewery. <gasps> so, oh, that's yeah. it for Gwyn's Garden Gems. Oh, and I just wanted to throw out there, if you do want some pomegranate juice, Palm Wonderful is a great pomegranate juice very to good. buy. It's yep. very, very good. And you just put it in a little Sprite and just drink. Yep. All right, so are we ready for me to yes, do mine? Yes, Carr will now tell us a tale. Tell us a tale, Carr. This is the second battle of Magturd. The Tuatha de Danann lived in the northern isles of the world, learning lore and magic and druidism and wizardry and cunning until they had surpassed the sages of the arts of the heathendom. There were four cities in which they learned lore and science, diabolical arts, to wit Phallus and Goris and Murris and Findus. Out of Phallus they brought the Stone of Fall, which is Tara. It used to roar under every king that would take the realm of Ireland. Out of Goris was brought the Spear of Lu. No battle was ever won against it or him who held it in his hand. Out of Findus was brought the Sword of Nud. When it was drawn from its deadly sheath, no one ever escaped from it. It was irresistible. Out of Murris was brought Dagda's Cauldron. No company ever went from it unthankful. Four wizards there were in those four cities. Morphes was in Phallus, Eris was in Goris, Eusus was in Findus, Simus was in Muras. Those are the four poets of whom the Tuathde learned lore and science. Now the Tuatha de Danann made an alliance with the Fomorians, and Balor, grandson of Net, gave his daughter Ethan to Sian, son of Draken, and brought forth the gifted child Lu. The Tuathde came with a great fleet to Ireland to take the firm blog. They burnt their ships at once upon reaching the district of Quorum Belganton, which is Conmaria today, so that they should not think of retreating to them. And the smoke and mist that came from the vessels filled the neighboring land and air. Therefore it was conceived that they had arrived in clouds of mist. The first, hardcore. the first battle of Moturia was fought between them and the Fernblog, and the Fernblog was, were routed, and hundreds of thousands of them were slain, including their king, Enoch, son of Er. In the battle, moreover, Nud's hand was stricken off, as the string son of Sigyn that struck it off of him. So Dianek, the leech, put on him the hand of silver with the motion of every hand, and Krieg the brazier helped the leech. Silver hand. Yes. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Now the Tuath Danan lost many men in battle, including Eldlo, son of Allah, and Ermis, and Fernan, and Turag Brikoro. But such the Furblog had escaped from the battle, went in to fight the Fomorians, and settled in Arran, and in Islay, and in Man, and Rathlin. Now I will skip ahead, because it's fucking long. 
<laughs> so that was the establishment of the Fairbog in Arryn, which I believe is the underworld? Correct, okay. yes. And is this the story that Stephen Lott had based his books on? Hand. The yes, yes. Hand. Actually, the all of those, of the, the Song of Albion series was actually based on, <laughs> on, this. on this. Yes, the yes. second battle, yes. Yes. Yep. I love those books. So, uh, oddly enough, we're going to recommend Christian books right yes, now. Yes, yes, oddly. <laughs> the Song of Albion is really good, you guys. There's a but Song it... of Albion series by a guy named Stephen R. Lawhead, mm-hmm. and it is the least Christian Christian book you'll ever read, yep. but the fucking stories are amazing. They he, are. He was and a... they're based on Celtic mythology. Right. Because yep. he was an Oxford scholar. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He's actually an American who now lives in Ireland. It's kind of mm-hmm. like Full-time. Tolkien. Like, yep. Tolkien yep. was a Christian, and there, you know, you can sort of see the vibe, but not really. Right. Yeah, yep. Okay, so that small segue over. Right. <laughs> I heard the silver hand bit, and I was I like, know. Oh, 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 I know that! The silver hand! Do, does it make everybody want to uh, oh, read yeah. that series again? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I have all three books. I know, and we have them on audio, too, yeah, so yeah, we should just, just listen to them all together. I'm skipping way ahead. Yeah. Now Lou and the Dagda and Agma, who the Oum is based after, pursued the Fomorians, for they had carried off the Dagda's harp, whose name was Uthin. And when they reached the banqueting house in which the breeze son of Ethlo and Ethlo's son Drebeth, they hung the harp on a wall. That is the harp which Dagda had bound the melodies so that they sound not until his call to summon them forth. When he said this below, Come, Durbla. Come Conerth Kerr, Conf Summer, Come Winter, Mouths of Harps and Bags of Pipes. Now the harp had two names, Durablach, Oak of Two Dreams, and Korketh Kerr, Four Angeled Music. Mm. Then the harp went forth from the hall and killed nine men and came to the Dagda. It's always good when you call a harp and it comes to you. Kill the people in the way. And then he played for them the three things whereby harpers are distinguished. To wit, sleep strain, and smile strain, and wail strain. He played wail strain to them so they were tearful women wept. He played smile strain to them so women and children laughed. He played sleep strain to them and the company fell asleep. Through that sleep, the three of them escaped unhurt from the Fomorians though they had desired to slay them. <laughs> then the Dagda brought with him the heifer, which had been given to him for his labor. For when she had called her calf to the, all the cattle of Ireland, which the Fomorians had taken as their tribute, grazed. Now, after the battle was won, and corpses cleared away, the Morgu, daughter of Urmus, proceeded to proclaim that the battle and the mighty victory which had taken place to the royal heights of Ireland, and to its fairy hosts, and its chief waters, and its river mouths, and hence... It is that blah, also described as high deeds. Hast thou any tale, said everyone to her then? And she replied, peace up to heaven, heaven down to earth, earth under heaven, strength in every one. And I'm going to leave it at that. Nice. I feel like we've heard about this murderous harp before. I think the murder harp has featured uh, yes. maybe a recurring murder harp. Yes. have been doing this for almost three years. So. Yeah, I can't keep track. Right. Who knows? I can't before, keep but track. But I just remember hearing about the about murder, the murder harp. harp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About the dog's murder harp. The dog Which I think harp. I don't remember an instance in mm-hmm. actual Norse mythology of Thor's hammer coming to him. In fact, he has to go fetch it several times. Right. I wonder if Marvel so I, stole that. I wonder if Marvel stole the flying weapon responding to the call of the owner from the dog's harp and was just like, we'll just slap that on this yeah, hammer. That, that's what the dog did, mm-hmm. basically. Was he it just said, hey, harp! harp! And it went, there it was and killed some folk along, along the way. way yeah. yep. That very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Whereas Thor, mythologically, had to dress up as a bride to go get his hammer. <laughs> That's his hammer. So I'm, I'm like, there's a distinction there in the response time of the weapons. That's right. But now it's time for Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. All right, so we're going to do super easy. Okay. Super easy, but super delicious. I like easy. And not, let me repeat, not a fucking northern Michigan thing. Oh, we're going to talk about the Cornish pasty. The Cornish pasty. It's there in the name. Why would they be from northern Michigan? There because are, everybody in northern Michigan claims that, that the pasty is from... Yes. <laughs> it's the people from the UP. I'm just saying. It's the Ubers insist they invented pasties? Yes, that's a thing. Pretty I sure don't, pasties have existed longer than America has. Yes, yes, yes they yeah. have. <laughs> 
English people brought Cornish pasties with them to the United States when yeah. they settled yeah. and, you know, colonized the uh-huh. area. Yeah. So, yeah, no. Unless the the native tribes were making pasties. No, no, it was a British thing. So the usual filling for a Cornish pasty is normally skirt steak, potato, turnip, and onion. And then herbs from the hedgerow were often used in times gone by. Parsley is sometimes used today. There is an old saying that a devil may never cross the Tamar due to the common habit of the Cornish women putting moist things into a pasty, and he was not brave enough. To risk such a fate. Oh, because they're not supposed to be able to cross running water or right, something. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are too many, too many wet corners pasties out there. <laughs> so it's pretty simple. It's a pound of flour, half a pound of lard or suet. Uh, I would prefer suet personally, but your choice. What's the difference? Uh, suet is actually pig, basically oh. ground up. Yeah. Can I substitute Crisco? Uh, probably. <laughs> yep. Half a teaspoon of salt mixed with water. As soon as you get that done, you roll them out into about a quarter inch thick, cut into rounds. You lay the rounds on a pastry board with half of the round over a rolling pin. Put in all the fillings. So that would be the skirt steak, the potato, turnip, and onion. You put them all in there. Then flip it over. Knock the sides down with a fork or roll the sides. Like a little half moon Yep, so you get a half moon moon shape. shape. Yep. You cut a slit in the top and you bake it in the oven until it's golden brown. I love Cornish pasties. It's that simple. I adore but, yes, Cornish pasties. I absolutely love them, and it irritates me every time I go somewhere in Michigan, and I'm like, the original pasty, and I'm like, fuck oh. you, you're not from Cornwall. According to Gemma, I cannot use Crisco, yes. otherwise I will be haunted for the, the rest ghost of my of days. By the ghost of a Cornish granny. ghost of a Cornish granny, so I will not use Crisco, but I do want to make these because it sounds delicious. And you can get lard at the store. So. Rana, yes, they are basically British Eponatus. Um... Visit Birmingham Violin Studio, where our tiger, Kirsten Gill, has been teaching violin for anyone ages 7 and up for the last 20 years. Kristen tailors each lesson specifically to the student, since all people are unique individuals with their own learning style. Rather than teaching from a single method or method book, Kirsten has a Master's of Music in Violin Performance and has played in professional ensembles, including Orchestra Iowa, the Florida Grand Opera, Palm Beach Symphony, and the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra, as well as Casey and the Sunshine Band, the Beach Boys, and the pre-American idol, Kelly Clarkson. Due to social distancing, the Birmingham Violin Studio has pivoted to providing online instruction, and Kirsten is offering listeners of Three Pagans and a Cat their first two lessons free when they sign up for two months of lessons. You can find them at BirminghamViolinStudio.com. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I, I love violin. I love string instruments. I think you actually took violin for a very short time. I took flute. Oh, it was flute. Yeah. I think that's everything. We, We've covered it we all. Have, we have told stories. We have done segments. We have I, reviewed things. I think, and we've, I think it's been a lot of fun. I really oh, have yeah. enjoyed listening, especially to Cars, Cars story voice. dramatic voice. <laughs> so you're going to have to great. use that from now on when we do story time. <laughs> I don't know that I can. I will certainly attempt to. <laughs> well, I mean, you kind of put yourself into it because you used a really cool voice to do the Raven. Uh-huh. You've now used a really cool voice to do the Murder Harp yeah, story. You've right. done this to so yourself. You've done this to yourself, just like with the singing. <laughs> yeah. Just like with the singing you've, for the you've segment. You've established a standard now. You've established a standard. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Right. But it makes it more fun, and then we can giggle. And, uh-huh, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a good time. We have a good time. So I guess that's it. Yep. All right. Yep. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. All right. Up. So if you want to find, if you'd like to find out more about us, <laughs> you can find us on Google. Just Google the number three, Pagans and a Cat.